Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. How will the conflict in Ukraine end? A ceasefire, armistice, frozen conflict, or defeat for either Ukraine or Russia? This is the question so-called think tanks all across the Western world are asking. The problem with this approach is that it lacks intellectual and moral honesty. We must address why this conflict started in the first place. Crosshocking War and Peace, I'm joined by my guest, John Baroli in New York. He is a political analyst as well as a former foreign correspondent in Russia. In Washington, we have Nick Brana. He is the chair of the People's Party of the United States. And in North Florida, we have Tom Luongo. He is the publisher of Gold, Goats, and Guns blog and newsletter. All right, gentlemen, Crosstalk Rules. In fact, that means you can jump in anytime you want. And I always appreciate it. Let me, let me go to uh, John in New York first. You know, John, I mean, I, I watch all these think tanks, you know, uh, responsible statecraft, you know, the American conservative, antiwar.com, which I, I have, you know, basically positive uh, attitudes towards in general. But very specifically, the way they approach the, uh, how this conflict in Ukraine is going to end, they, they, they're not very interest, interested in contextualizing it, how we got here in the first place. Because I would posit, and I have ever since the conflict started, that the ending will, has to take into account how it all started. And in Western elites and the, the, well, the, the foreign policy blob, as it were, just doesn't want to go there because there's a lot of culpability there. Go ahead in, in New York. Yeah, the, the roots of this conflict are protecting the rights of the ethnic Russians in Donbass and Crimea. And absolutely nobody in the West wants to address that issue. They don't even want to talk about it. In fact, I was uh, recently on a Atlantic Council webinar. Atlantic Council, as you, as you know, it's a think tank basically for the Pentagon, for the CIA, for the national security state. And they deny the fact that there are ethnic Russians who are native residents of Crimea and Donbass. They deny this fact. Uh, General Wesley Clark claims that the Russians living in Crimea are migrants. They just came in the past few years. R Moscow sent them to Crimea in order to stake its claim to Crimea in the past few years. That's what Wesley Clark, you know, top general of the Pentagon, actually believes such lies, such disinformation. Then there was a former defense minister from Ukraine, and he said the people in Crimea, well, they're Ukrainians. They claim they're Russians, but they're, in fact, Ukrainians. They just don't know they're Ukrainians. And we're going to help them to remember that they're Ukrainians, which, of course, what does this say? NATO and Ukraine, they have a plan of ethnic cleansing, um, you know, murder, executions, ethnic cleansing. That is their plan. That is their vision for Crimea, for Donbass, if they succeed. And this is why Russia is fighting so hard, because it has to protect those 7 million people. It has to protect their rights, their lives, their property. So Russia is going to fight to the bitter end. The residents of those regions are going to fight to the bitter end to protect themselves from what would be a mass, a horrible crime, a mass murder, if NATO and Ukraine win, well, which uh, will not happen. Uh, well, John, I'm glad you brought that up. Tom, there was a, uh, um, a media expert, apparently, I'm not going to use her name, but a Ukrainian woman, that went on Twitter and said she basically wanted the extermination of all Russians and the destruction of Russia. And it's still there. I mean, people, I mean, they, 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 they're promoting ethnic cleansing here. And, and I'm really gl glad that uh, John went through the litany of things that he talked about here, because if we don't take these issues into account, you can't understand why this conflict started and certainly not how it's going to end. Because just to take one thing that John just said, I mean, Russia is never going to allow ethnic cleansing of, of, of Russians, 
no matter where. Okay, that's a, a, a starting point here. That is not an accepted point in the West. Go ahead, Tom. No, I, I, I agree with all that. And I think there's also the, the roots of this conflict are also much deeper than that as well in terms of geopolit- the, the big geopolitical game board as well. So you have to take into account the great power struggle that's happening here. We have a um, we have a failing Western financial system, which we know is failing and is being challenged now by the global South, led by uh, Russia, China, and to a lesser extent, Iran. And that and the, the big shift of energy east versus having it, it flowed having flowed west previously and i think that in, in a sense all of this is um kind of that's the the real backdrop here and the people whose lives are being snuffed out over this are you know in the they're ultimately just collateral damage it's like yeah, I, 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 I don't see anything different from the Western leaders that I saw from Madeleine Albright about the, you know, U.S. invasion of Iraq. Yeah. You know, 50, you know, 50,000 dead Iraqi children will, well, you know, it'll, their sacrifice will have been worth it or whatever she said. It was just, it's, there, there's, these are psychopaths and, and they don't really see the human cost of this and they don't really care about the human cost of it. So, um, there is no basis for negotiations from my, from my perspective. Well, I, you're jumping ahead of me because I essentially believe the same thing. You know, Nick, you know, uh, living in the U.S., um, and, you know, and I've been watching, you know, way before February 24th of, of last year is that it, there's no contextualization of what was going on at the time. And I watch American media right now and everything about Ukraine without nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. But they don't even really talk about the nature of the regime in Kiev whatsoever. OK, and and the the virulent um, uh, ethnic nationalism that is propagated by that regime, which the United States is supporting uh, with over a hundred billion dollars. And who knows, uh, Kevin McCarthy might not be able to resist and another hundred billion will come their way. Not even the nature of the regime is portrayed correctly, with a few exceptions like Tucker Carlson. Go ahead, Nick. You're absolutely right. Uh, The Zelensky regime, the regime we're propping up in Ukraine, is an ultra-nationalist regime infested with Nazi elements. It is a dictatorship, essentially. It has banned opposition parties. It has consolidated the media and banned the free press into one national entity. It has uh, banned uh, uh, trade unions and collective bargaining. And so these are all supposedly values that the liberal West, uh, the United States and Europe celebrate, and yet they're upholding this dictatorship. I think that you have to go back to the promise not to expand NATO one inch to the east to contextualize this conflict. And to answer your original question as well as to where how this conflict will end, I, I think that one of the possibilities that, that you didn't raise, that there is an increasing likelihood with each passing day, is nuclear war. Good point. Because the neocons in this country, in the United States, they have so invested themselves yep. in a victory over Russia, they've openly declared their intent to break Russia right. up, in fact, to balkanize it into multiple different countries, that that becomes more and more likely. As Jen Stoltenberg said just uh, a, a couple of months ago, uh, he said that this is this war is risking becoming a direct war between the United States and Russia, a world war. And in fact, the Ukrainian foreign minister uh, just admitted, the yep. defense minister just admitted that, in fact, 
they are fighting on behalf of NATO. So the pretext has completely fallen off this war. It is a NATO war against Russia. Yeah. It is a world war. And yeah, with but, each but, passing but, day, nuclear but, war Nick, becomes you know, more likely. We, we, Stoltenberg keeps saying, but we're not part of the conflict. We're not a co-belligerent. I mean, the guy, he's a lunatic, absolute lunatic here. Uh, John, I, I had my producers send out, all three of you, an article from Responsible Statecraft. And the reason why I did it, and it was embedded in the questions that I also sent out, is that the U.S. Is, has all these ideas about how to end the conflict. Well, it's almost kind of inviting an arsonist to put out a fire. I mean, it, it is really quite, it, it's, it's on the lunatic fringe. The country that is instigated it is the one that's going to determine its outcome. What hubris is that? Go ahead, John. First of all, it's very clear that there can only be one man standing. This is a fight to the death. It's either Russia wins or NATO slash, well, the U.S. slash NATO wins. Uh, so let's have no illusion. There's going to be no peace talks. There's going to be no negotiations. There could be a truce. I mean, a, um, arm, you know, a temporary truce, perhaps that's possible. But then it will just heat up again in six months. And at the end of the day, there has to be one victor. Uh, the U.S., yes, has made it very clear that they want the destruction of Russia. Okay, uh, no official has come out and officially said that. But all the NATO journalists, all the American journalists, think tanks, ex so-called experts, they've all said that, which makes it clear that's the policy of the White House. Uh, so Russia cannot, obviously, is not going to accept this. And think about it, a war being fought right on Russia's border. Who has the, who has the advantage there? Simply logistically, geographically, Russia has a huge advantage. And by the way, I'm going to point, I'm going to say that I think Ukraine is a trap. I think it's a trap for NATO. And NATO might think it's a trap for Russia. No, no, no. Well, it's a trap for well, NATO. you know, John, for me, I, I think it's a trap. They, what they did was they created a trap for Russia. Russia took into uh, uh, went in to protect its uh, to ethnic Russians. But the ultimate trap is the destruction of NATO. And I'm looking forward to that. Tom, go, before we go to the break, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I would say that this is the been my read on the situation as well uh, from the beginning as well, Peter. I went back to the at the beginning of the conflict. I thought that um, you know I asked the question, whose cauldron is this anyway? You know, it's uh, re referencing Russian you know encirclement uh, military strategy. It's like and it, and Putin has very clearly we talk about the roots of the conflict been fighting a war of attrition, economic political attrition against the West, not just the United States but also Europe for over eight years now. And and it's and it's a multi front war. It's it's part of the strategy in Syria. We could bring in you know the, the burgeoning peace talks between Syria and and Turkey as a another front in this war. And we also can talk about the the fight in the financial sectors as well over you know the price of oil and 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 oil and gas and everything else. Those are all part of this. This is not just a kinetic war between the uh, NATO backed Ukrainian armed forces and Russian forces. This is a multi lack of a better term, multipolar or multi-theater war. It's financial, it's, uh, it's, it's diplomatic, it's political, and it, and, and it's going to continue until, as I think, as the others said, I, which I agree with, which is there's going to have to be one clear victor. And at this point, we're not sure who that's going to be. Well, Nick, again, depending on the, the depending on the, the, yeah, the, before, the theater. 20 about. seconds before, Nick, you want to react to that before we go to the break? 20 seconds. No, that's absolutely correct. Uh, and that's what I was saying in saying that the pretext has fallen off. This is a world war right now. Uh, it is clear that and, and Russia correctly regards this as a world war, as a NATO war against uh, against Russia. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to go to a hard break. And after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on war and peace. Stay with our team.
Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. To remind you, we're discussing war and peace. Okay, let's go back to John in New York. I mean, again, I read all of these think tank papers and and all this. There's not a whole lot of thinking going on in these places, unfortunately. John, I mean, the way I look at it, and I think it's already been said here on this program, is that, well, why would Russia get involved in any negotiations with France, with Germany, with the United States? I mean, what happened with the Minsk Accords, okay? They've all admitted that they were lying. Uh, they were deceitful. I mean, Russia doesn't have an interlocutor. It's certainly not going to talk to the the regime in Kiev. I mean, they've passed laws where you can't talk to the Russians. And that was always by the behest of the United States. I mean, the, the talk of a ceasefire, an armistice, it's ridiculous because Russia, I can, my, the way my reading of it is, they don't want to do this again in five years, 10 years, 15 years. No, they want a resolution to it. And that resolution is respecting Russia's security demands, which were not taken seriously in December of 2021. John, in New York. Yeah, but there's also a bigger context here. I mean, you know, the whole world, pretty much the whole world, except for those countries that are allied with the United States or under American domination. So most of the world, they're just sick and tired of American hegemony. They're sick and tired of American imperialism. You know, let's forget the, con- let's not forget the context. 20, 20 years of war against the Islamic world, you know, invasions and massacres and genocide and horrible bombings. I mean, then we can even go back. We can go back to uh, Serbia as well. So the world is sick of it because, and a lot of the world is silently cheering on Russia, supporting Russia, because they know that if Russia goes, well, they're next. There could be American gunboats off their shores or American planes over their skies at any moment. So many countries, especially in Africa, Middle East, Middle East, of course, uh, Southeast Asia, they really support Russia because they want to see a new world order, a world order that is based on mutual respect between countries where there's not a dominant hegemon who's always invading and bombing and threatening and sh- and destroying. You know, people want to have a new world order, and Russia is leading it together with China, with India. And that this is a really golden opportunity in world history. We have a chance to build a new world order based on mutual respect, based on the original principles of the United Nations. You know, I, I, I'm American, and I'm really sad. I want to make it clear. I'm very sad to have to say all this. I'm really, really sad. I have to say this. I grew up in the American government system. You know, my family has been serving Uncle Sam for 60 years. I disagree with it. Well, you know, you know, you know see- John, I'm an American, too. OK, and I've seen what this foreign policy has done to working people, middle class people. They're the ones that always have to pick up the pick up the death. They have to shed their blood, too. OK, Just, and, and these mandarins, they go from one air conditioned office to another to start another war. And they never ha- are held to account. OK, sorry for my little speech right there. Tom, this has already been brought up here, and I think it's really important here. Russia's isolated. Russia has no friends. It's just a reverse. The West is isolating itself. And I would even go further, and I don't want to sip on Nick's toes here, but it's a cultural thing, too. It's anthropological. The the, the wokeism, the uh, postmodernism, most of the world is not interested in any of that whatsoever. The West is isolating itself, and the U.S. is destroying its most powerful tool, the dollar. Go ahead, Tom. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. And I, and I share uh, the sentiment of the other speaker about, about having, you know, the criticisms I have of my government are deep and abiding and, and virulent. I just always want to remind everybody as well that like, you know, we learned that from some, some other people and they, and they live in Europe. Uh, especially we learned it from the Brits who have also been, you know, subjugating the Arab world and the subcontinent for 150 years or a couple hundred years. And, you know, we're now just there. We're now just the tip of their spear. They're inheritors of this. So, and it's it. And, and the, so the whole system, yes, does need to be torn down. And the interesting part about this is that, and this is where I think everybody should kind of take a step back and really start to look at what's, I think, actually happening in the under, you know, in the, the undercurrents of the political drama that's playing out, which is everybody with a brain that's going, we're, we're like slouching towards World War III. Is that really what we want? And what I'm beginning to see is the, the beginnings and the stirrings of a counter-revolution at the top of the political, uh, structure in the United States. I really do believe that. I think that, um, a number of the New York banks have looked at the situation. The Federal Reserve has looked at the situation and said, this is unsustainable. This is what we can do to bring the, to bring the, in effect, bring the empire home. I, I made the point the other day. I was talking to somebody on Twitter and, and somebody said, well, they're always been behind all of the friggin' wars. They would, the bankers were behind World War One and World War Two. I said, yeah, but there's no blood to be gotten from the middle class anymore. You, you, the yeah. banks don't care yeah. where they lend. They'll lend domestically to rebuild the U.S. as we come home. Again, Look at what Turkey, look at the situation in Syria and Iraq very carefully because the, the U.S. is going to have to come home in an ignominious defeat from both of those places. And the sentiment here in the U.S. is yes, let's get those people home. Well, as much as they tried to sell us a war in Ukraine. Well, Nick, this is a perfect uh, segue for people like yourself that are looking for a third way, looking for an alternative, because I, I, I tend to think you're probably more on the progressive side. I'm on the conservative side. But here we are, both of us together here. There's a lot of commonalities right here. And this is what the powers that be don't want. They don't want people like you and I to talk because we might agree on a few things. Go ahead, Nick. That's right, Peter. That's exactly right. Because people understand after decades and decades of these endless wars that these are as much a war, a deep state, Wall Street, CIA, military industrial complex war against the American people as it is a war against Iraq, Libya, Syria, Russia, Ukraine. These wars are our freedoms are being liquidated in the United States in the name of these wars, our freedom of speech. We found out through the Twitter fire revelations recently that the re, that the Pentagon and the FBI, the CIA, are involved in actually curtailing free speech, the First Amendment. We're being mass surveilled in this country. The Fourth Amendment has essentially been nullified. So we're sacrificing our freedoms. Both parties that we have, major parties that we have in this country, are war parties, the Democratic and the Republican Party. The Democrat Party is actually leading the charge yeah. for war now. More than $100 billion authorized for Ukraine in weapons and military aid by both parties. That's on top of the $858 billion military budget that we have. And you're absolutely right, Peter. People are finally rising up against these wars in the United States. In fact, as the People's Party, we've come together with a party that we have many disagreements with, the Libertarian Party, and many others, the Peace in Ukraine Coalition, World Beyond War, many other organizations to actually host a 
rally and a march against these wars on February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial. It is rage against the war machine. Thousands of people are going to come to Washington, D.C., and we are saying we have had enough with these wars that are costing our freedoms, costing our tax dollars, and killing people abroad in the name of this delusional objective of maintaining American hegemony in the 21st century. Well, you know, John, the, the, the sad thing about it, I mean, I, I think a lot of my viewers a, a long time ago realized that uh, I was banned from YouTube here. I've never seen such a, um, um, uh, a propaganda campaign against alternative idea. I mean, saying, well, I don't really agree. There's a, Because you, you know Russia, you lived here. How do you see the characterization of this conflict and Russia in Western media since you're in the belly of the beast? Go ahead. As as you mentioned, as you know, I worked with the major media 15 years as a foreign correspondent, so I still have many contacts and friends there. Oh, no, wait, I should say I had, because because of this issue with Ukraine, we have parted ways. I've had some very heated conversations with them. I've outright called them liars, because they are liars. They are fabricating uh, false narratives. They're promoting false narratives, the Pentagon narratives, uh, right? Don't you remember there was a time when, if you were a journalist, no, you had to be whatever the Pentagon said was bad, and you were always automatically in opposition to whatever whatever the Pentagon said and did. And now today it's the opposite. You have to be you you curry favor with the Pentagon. You immediately say yes, yes, yes. Let's go with the Pentagon narrative. I mean, journalists, American journalists, uh, British as well. Uh, so this is a really strange journalism. Well, it's not journalism, of course. It's it's cheap. It's pure pure war propaganda. Uh, it's. This is a real, obviously, a very painful topic for me because I did work so many years in the major media, and I have lost so many friends over this issue. Uh, but no, nothing's going to change. I don't see anything changing. You know, our, my colleague who just spoke, he's more optimistic. I'm more pessimistic. I, I don't see that people are really rising up. I don't see any changes in the mass media. For some for people to rise up, there's going to have to be a revolution inside the mass media. Because, as we know, the mass media has such enormous power over how Americans see the world because they don't have time to do research about what's really happening in Ukraine. They just repeat the talking points on NBC, CNN, New York Times. So it has to, if we really want to change something, it's got to start by changing something inside the American media. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing you can do is, and what I, I do a lot is I turn it off. I mean, I'm just, I, I don't want to participate. Stop participating in it, okay? I think Chomsky said something like that. Uh, Tom, how does this, where do we go from here? Because I don't see any reason in the world why Russia is going to re refrain from what it's doing. It's going to, it doesn't care what the German chancellor says, Sergeant Schultz or whoever is the foreign minister in Paris. No, they don't care about these things. I mean, J Jake Sullivan, do you care what he has to say? I don't, okay? And that, I do. and Unfor I, and unfortunately, I, I do. Well, I, what, what, <laughs> my, my point is a lot of uh, more and more people around the world, what's called the global south, I call it the global majority because that's what it is. The global sure. majority, they're taking the West less and less serious. They're not as afraid of the West as they used to, and they certainly don't respect it anymore. One last minute, go to you, Tom. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I would say the the following, Peter, which is that, um, yes, we are. The, I think the part of this, this exercise is to delegitimize the United States at a certain level. There's a, a, a kind of fundamental weird thing that's happening here where it's almost like we're the it, that the the U.S. is being pushed into the role of being the evil bad guy that is create that is creating the conflicts around the world and trying to get itself involved in a couple of world wars that it clearly cannot fight from a logistical perspective, and um, this is 
we we look at we look at you know war material uh, production numbers and whatnot. There, there's no way that the United States could fight those uh, a, a multi-front war against Russia and China. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a non-starter. So you got to well, start I, asking I, I, yourself, well, if that's the case, then 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 why are they doing this? Yes. And well, I think I, what we're going to do is what we're having all. I think all of us would agree in our audience too. There is a reckoning. Uh, in front of us right now. And uh, I, I started out by saying, you know, Happy New Year to all you guys. And, and I'm, I was convinced that this will be a better year. I'm not. Unfortunately, it's going to be another turbulent year. That's all the time thank we you. have, gentlemen. I want to thank my guests in Washington, New York, and in North Florida. And I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. And remember, Crosstalk Rules.